Welcome to Local SEO Today. On this podcast, John Vong interviews business professionals and entrepreneurs in many fields to uncover challenges and successes in business ownership. Our goal is to provide you with insights into the entrepreneurship journey and give you tips and advice from real experience. Brought to you by Local SEO Search based in Toronto, Canada. Thank you for tuning in to Local SEO today. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode. Joining me today is Tim Ash. He's an author, keynote speaker, and authority in digital marketing. Tim co-founded his own digital agency, Site Tuners, in 2001, and was an early adopter of website conversion rate optimization. Thanks for joining me today, Tim. Hey, John. It's great to be with you. I know you're a West Coaster out in San Diego. I love the weather there. I've been there once, and I do intend to go back. Yeah, well, the downside is we have high housing prices and low pay, but we joke that we get paid in sunshine dollars. So that, that makes up for it. Well, the amount that I spend on vitamin D, um, <laughs> <laughs> you get it for free every time you go for a third minute walk. So um, there's a lot of pros to where you're living. And definitely, I, I'm definitely going to come back um, yeah. and probably reach out to you when I do. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I can't complain. I walk about a mile to the to the cliffs here by the ocean every day, do my Tai Chi. So it's pretty good life. Amazing. Well, if you don't mind sharing with the audience members, um, you know, what do people know you by a little bit about your journey backstory, and what got you into being your own entrepreneur? Hmm. Uh, well, I'll start at the very beginning. I was born in Moscow, Russia. Uh, actually, during the Soviet Union days, back in, before when it was still the, the communist empire. And uh, we emigrated to the U.S. when I was eight years old. I had a younger brother who was five and my parents, and they decided to come to America so we'd have a better life. And it was very early days. Very few people were allowed to even leave the country. And so we ended up... Um, through an uncle my dad had who had settled in the U.S., living in Albany, New York, and then Ann Arbor, Michigan, and then Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is near Philadelphia. That's where I went to high school. Basically, my parents always picked small towns of about 100,000 people that had excellent public school systems. That was kind of their criteria. And then I ended up getting a full UC Regents academic scholarship uh, on the beach in La Jolla, California, and I never left San Diego. So uh, that, that's how I got here. That's amazing. So uh, if you don't mind sharing, like your parents, did they have businesses prior? Like why America and why did they leave Soviet? Yeah, that's a great question. My dad was ethnically Jewish, and there's a lot of discrimination back then and still to this day against Jews in, in Russia. And this, so this was when there was a political pressure being applied by the West to start letting Jews out, ostensibly to go to Israel. Yeah. Uh, but once you leave the Soviet Union, uh, we were stripped of our citizenship and we were stateless. There were four countries that were taking Soviet Jewish refugees. Uh, of course, Israel, and then the Canada, the U.S., and Australia were the others. And we, so we were in Rome, Italy, and deciding where to go. And my dad happened to do this transatlantic, this is in the early 70s, uh, collect call to his uncle's apartment, who was a success in the U.S., and 
had businesses. And so he called his Madison Avenue apartment in New York. And of course, like all good Jews, Uncle Saul was wintering in Florida. So they actually forwarded that collect call to Florida, got a hold of him. And my dad's like, hey, Uncle Saul, it's it's Sasha. And we're in uh, Rome and we're thinking of going to Canada. And my dad or my, my great uncle said, no, no, Sasha, you come to America. I'll take care of everything. And so it was like that five minute phone call and that the fact that he happened to catch him on the phone and that determined the country we ended up in. We, I could have just as easily been a Canadian, eh? <laughs> well, you could have been a neighbor of mine, right? Like you never know. So that's, that's right. awesome. That's awesome to hear. Um, and then growing up, um, and how old were you when that all transpired? That I was eight years old, so I basically finished elementary school in New York State. You know, my parents just stuck us in public school. We were fluent within three months. I think as younger kids, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't believe in bilingual education for younger kids. I think you should just be thrown into the middle of it, and you're very flexible and can learn the language. And um, then uh, junior high school in Michigan, and basically high school in New Jersey near Philadelphia. So. Um, the okay. focus was always, you know, the, the immigrant parents, you, you may be familiar with this. It's kind of like, you just get straight A's. That's your job. Everything else will, will take care of, you know, that was the attitude. That's amazing. So going into uh, LA for, uh, or California, you mentioned. Yeah. San Diego. Yeah. San Diego for um, your, your undergrad or college university. What did you study and why? Well, I actually wanted to do uh, visual art because I was uh, a pretty good artist. I did painting and drawing. And my, my parents, again, were very practical immigrants. And they're like, okay, just, just do something that, that in engineering and you'll have a job for life. And I got to UC San Diego, which is a fantastic school, but it's very experimental in a lot of ways. So their visual art department was actually into video, this is back in the 80s, and performance art, not the kind of traditional stuff I was looking for. So I ended up, since I was going to be there for five years anyway to finish my computer engineering degree, getting a double major in cognitive science and computer engineering. And I stayed there for graduate school for seven years, almost finished my PhD in what would now be called uh, machine learning or artificial intelligence, uh, neural networks is what I studied. Uh, so basically how to teach computers by example. And we were working on the algorithm side, how to actually teach them. What we didn't have back in the day were large data sets to train on. Obviously when the internet comes along, that all changed because now we're drowning in data and that's why artificial intelligence is really taking off. So, uh, but I was, I had itchy feet and I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in school. So I'd been working full time through graduate school. I decided just to start my own company in 1995. So I quit seven years into the PhD program, gave my mom a heart attack, but that's another story. And then I, that was the launch of my entrepreneurial journey. I took 2000 square feet of office space, got a phone line, a computer and a desk, um, and an internet connection. And then I called up my girlfriend and said, Hey, guess what I'm doing right now? I'm running around my office naked because I can. And so that was kind of the start of it all. Amazing. So a couple of questions there um, regarding your, did you have siblings or were you the lone child? Uh, no, I had a younger brother. He was three years younger than me and he followed me out to UCSD and then eventually moved to the Bay area and, uh, and on from there. Yeah. Amazing. 
And then regarding your starting of that new entrepreneurial journey, what kind of business was it when you first started? And how did you discover that's something you wanted to pursue and grow into? Well, well, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Gerber's book, The E-Myth, The Entrepreneurial Myth. Oh, it looks like it's on your bookshelf right there. Yeah, so you're familiar. So basically, it was that fit of entrepreneurial insanity where you say, hey, I can do this a lot better than the people I'm working for, and I don't need them, so I'm just going to do my own thing. I'd worked at big companies, NCR, and SAIC, which is a big defense contractor. And I just saw the, just the soul-killing environment and the culture of big companies. I said, this is not for me. So I just uh, decided this is early dot-com days, 95, to start essentially a dot-com incubator. So we designed database-driven websites for people, but we we're doing it kind of in the raw uh, internet marketing, that sort of thing. And uh, worked with some huge companies and then refocused on um, something measurable, which was pay-per-click campaigns, driving paid traffic to websites. And we were early days into that as well. Uh, worked with a company called GoTo.com, which was later renamed Overture, which became Yahoo Search. But we created one of the first bidding tools to manage how much you want to pay for each keyword and run automated campaigns. So once we did that, what I saw was we were managing campaigns for clients. You know, we can do this for ourselves. So that's when the affiliate marketing space was just blowing up. And so we decided to spend our own money to drive traffic to other people's websites and just get paid a commission. And we were making money on the spread. And that worked really well. And then I realized, you know, the scale of the money we were making depended on how crappy their landing pages were. So we said, hey, let us fix your landing pages. We'll all make a lot more money. And that's what got me into what's now called conversion rate optimization. And then, so we jettisoned all of the pay-per-click stuff and the affiliate marketing and just became Site Tuners, which was a conversion rate optimization agency to make websites more efficient, basically. Amazing. So how long, like, I know you mentioned you started in 95. Mm -hmm. uh, was that a first business? And then... Was it successful or did you pivot, change the brand, or has it always been Site Tuner? Well, it was the, uh, the holding company had a different name, but uh, we branded as Site Tuners around 2000, 2001. So it took about five years to find our footing in the space and what we really wanted to do. And along the way, I wrote a couple of best selling books on landing page optimization. Mm -hmm. A lot of people consider this the, the Bible in the field. And it was translated into six languages and sold 50,000 copies, which is really good for uh, an advanced business marketing book. And uh, I also started, I'm very proud of the Conversion Conference, which was the first conference about the topic in, in the field. And it's now called Digital Growth Unleashed, still happens every year in the US, UK, and Germany. So I ran that for 10 years alongside of Site Tuners. Um, and uh, we worked with uh, some very cool companies. We work with uh, Google, Facebook, Nestle, Expedia, you name it. And we've documented $1.2 billion in value for our clients uh, while I ran Site Tuners. That's amazing. So over the course of 20 plus years now, um, are you still leading it? Are you still a part owner? Are, like how involved are you in the business? Well, I'm not involved in that business. About two years ago, my mom had, had died three years ago, and I decided that I really, 
I, I'm stubborn, I'm more stubborn than most people. And uh, I also work hard and I don't give up on things. And that could be a, a plus or a minus. And what I decided was that really running any kind of professional services firm wasn't my highest and best use on the planet. Uh, you know, you have client problems, you have employee problems. And I thought I was becoming my own boss by running an agency. But really what you do is if you run professional services firm, you hire your boss, your next boss and your next boss. And basically it's sort of like, oh, you got money? Let's get married. And then you realize, oh, wait, you have a really warped corporate culture or you can't get things done for whatever reason. It's like finding out your, your spouse is insane after you marry them. And uh, that's not a lot of fun. So I just said, I don't want to hire bosses anymore. And I don't want to run companies anymore. I just want to do what I do best. So I think I was, like I said, more stubborn than most. But when I started focusing on what my personality type was, that's when I made this shift to what I'm doing now. And what is it that you're currently working on and uh, passionate about? Well, I, I, this is, again, this, I'd say it starts with personality. So uh, you're probably familiar with some of these personality typing systems like Myers-Briggs. Yeah, yeah. I'm an ENFP, which is the evangelist. On DISC, I'm high dominance, high influence, like a lot of uh, entrepreneurs. Players, and, yeah. and that's the initiator, right? Someone who starts things. On Enneagram, I'm a type seven, uh, which is basically like a visionary type person. So they basically all say the same thing. I need to be future focused and idea driven and curious. And I don't like anything routine or boring or operational. And so by honoring that, uh, I'm, I've, you know, I was doing things in that direction already, but I had to get rid of the anchors and the parking brake and everything else that wasn't serving that. So I did a lot of public speaking. I've, I've done that for a dozen years. I've keynoted at over 200 conferences on four continents and uh, with all his stages as big as 12,000 people. And that's a lot of fun. Writing books. I just finished a new LinkedIn learning course and introduction to neuromarketing and um, starting a mastermind group uh, based on neuromarketing techniques called Primal Brain Marketing. And so it's, it's about teaching and evangelizing. I do still do digital marketing consulting, but it's in an advisory capacity. I'm not going to be writing reports or implementing anything. A little bit of Tim goes a long way. So you just want to make sure that you talk to me if you want to do the right things. It's not about doing things right. Gotcha. That's amazing. And I think, you know, as you mature in your business, in your life, you come to a realization of where you want to be, where you want to be and what you want to do ultimately, right? Yes. Um, and it seemed like you've lived such a, a fruitful life with so many different experiences and so many different brands and companies and people that you've already encountered, stages that you've spoken at, books that you've written. Like there's so much that you have done, right? And given the world, um, were there people that inspired you? Like, were there mentors and coaches and people that really stood out along the way? Yeah, I'm, uh, my dad was, was a very inspirational figure for me. He died when I was about 25, still in graduate school, but uh, he left a deep imprint on my world. Um, and then I've always um, looked to older people for advice, 
And I've done that formally and formally. I was in peer mentoring organizations. Uh, one of them is called the Entrepreneur Organization, EO. I was in that for several years. And through that, I had contact with people in WPO, World Presidents Organization. And um, so I've always sought out people that were mentors. And I think that's one of the keys to life. In fact, in my latest book, uh, Unleash Your Primal Brain, I talk about how we made this evolutionary bet on spreading culture. And that means that we have to be part of this chain. We not only have to learn from others, we also have to give back at some point and pay it forward, if you will. So we actually get prestige, which is different from dominance. We get this psychic payoff by teaching what we know. And I think that um, the world would kind of just come to a grinding halt if people didn't do that. So uh, part of also what I'm doing right now is that attempt to give back and to help others and to educate. And, you know, it was great making money for our clients, but it's not curing cancer. You know what I mean? It's, it's taking money from the consumer and putting it in the bank account of one company versus their competitor. You know, so it's, it's just more efficient money extraction. <laughs> and I wanted to do something that said, hey, this is the way the brain really works understand yourself. This will help you in business and relationships and personal growth. And that's why I wrote Unleash Your Primal Brain. My motivation was really to give back and, and to all 8 billion people on the planet, not just a few handful of clients. That's amazing. I, I love how you're wording it as well as what you're all about now in life, right? Um, I've always been that giver type um, coming from an immigrant family you know, residing from Vietnam, escaped the war, very similar situation. Like yeah. my background, um, I was young though. I was like born here in Canada, but I, I kind of reflect and have very good perspective of what they had to go through, my parents, to come here. Um, and yeah, because they sacrificed yeah. everything. And we didn't Huge have a sacrifice. Of- and I think I was probably even bigger dislocation actually, you know, coming from Vietnam than it was for me from the Soviet Union. Yeah, we didn't have a lot of support, right? We didn't have people to, you know, lend a helping hand. We were surviving, which is shelter and food. So it's a little bit different, but I totally can relate. And this is what the world needs more of, right? People that can inspire, people that can give back, people that are grateful and understand perspective-wise, like global perspective and not just in their neighborhood and community. I mean, understanding how many other people they can make an impact to and give and inspire and try to, you know, get them on their feet. Yeah. And I think that this is a critical time in the, in the history of the world. Um, I believe history moves in cycles. There's a great book called The Fourth Turning that I read recently. It talks about these 80 to 100 year cycles that are based on essentially the length of a human life and the role that the four generations that go through that cycle have within it and the dynamics they create. And every 80 years, there's this fourth turning that's a crisis. We're in the middle of it right now. And I think from a very high level view, what happens with society is that people get more individualistic and they're out for themselves and it's uh, about individuals. And then that leads to nothing working and that leads to a crisis, often a war, sometimes really horrible wars. And only then do people start building community again. And I think we're at that cusp right now where we have to start 
pulling towards the center and building community and connections and so get away from this notion I think it's more pervasive in the US of oh individual rights I have my right to do to be an idiot you know everyone wants their rights without any of their responsibilities so I'm very much about that how do we weave things back together how do we um, build bridges not walls and I love that um, and that's why I started my own agency right like I wanted to help those community leader business owners, small, medium-sized business owners strive because they are the foundation of small neighborhoods, right? Like your, your local bread shop, you know, local cheese shop or dentist, right? These guys support each other. They understand people on a personal level, right? And they want to provide and add value and, you know, provide for everyone, um, giving everyone a, a voice, right? And adding value in their life. So I, I love what you're standing for. And I'm in the works of writing a book as well as creating a community to help like-minded small business owners, right? Get through the challenges of digital marketing. So Fantastic, they, yeah. Because it's, that's what we need more of, right? Like just yeah, people and, that are and, and out I, to help. And I think it needs to go beyond business. I mean, I think one of the silver linings of this pandemic has been that people are willing to get a little more real. You know, you see their kids crying in the background or the cat jumping on the desk during the Zoom call. And that's fine. That's just real. We were always that way. But instead, we wore these masks, depending on what role we were playing. And, you know, business is strictly professional, that sort of thing. So for me, it's really important to uh, kind of activate my whole being. That's one thing I'm not willing to do anymore is just leave part of myself on the shelf. I don't care if I'm on a business call or I'm in this podcast with you. I'm, I'm basically more of me, more of the time. And, and I think, you know, you need to have a, a sense of mission and purpose in life. That's been shown actually to lead to much better life outcomes health-wise. About uh, three years ago, I went through an initiation weekend through a fantastic organization called the Mankind Project. And the weekend was called the New Warrior Training Adventure. It's essentially an attempt to recreate a sense of male initiation, which has been missing from modern societies and to activate all parts of being a good human being. And as part of that, I came up with a, a, a mission statement. And, that, and so mine is, I co-create a world of peace, safety, and love through joyous expression and service. Amazing. And I think that, you know, we all need a North Star. Now that can change. It might be different tomorrow. Or I'll need to adjust it or throw it out and start over. But it's, it's kind of a, a North Star for values. It's very easy for me when I'm considering doing something, whether I'm on mission or not. Does it resonate with that mission statement? If it doesn't, I don't do it. It's yep. that simple. So I care more and more about less and less, I guess yeah. is maybe the best way to put it. You know, I, I totally get it. And a lot of people put a lot of pressure on themselves and it's self-detrimental because they believe it's the best way to go, right? A lot of people hide behind their self-true self. And, you know, I, I came to realization when I first started this company, I was like, look, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be me. I'm going to help people that I want to help and choose to that align with my values and morals. Mm -hmm. And anyone else, they can find other vendors. People who resonate with my agency will have the same team, the same family kind of feel, and we're going to give it all, right? 
And yeah, that's yeah. what really helps us mold and differentiate from every other SEO agency out there because we didn't come from SEO skill set. We came from, I need to give and help those small business owners, which were the foundation of our communities. Yes. And, and I think Mark Manson's got a, a really good book out. Uh, you've probably heard of it. It's called The Subtle Art of, of uh, Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, basically, he talks about values and he says, you know, once you know what your values are, then you only pay attention to things that are in alignment with those values and everything else you don't have to spend any thought on. And so again, I think it's, it's a focusing thing and you put everything through the prism of your values and that helps you live a, a much more meaningful and richer life. And I think it also depends on where they're at in the lifespan of your career, right? Like people are typically more comfortable in their true self later in life, right? They realize, mm-hmm. they come to realization of what they've done. They have a lot of perspective. They look back and they reflect, right? And they yes. that, and it takes time to actually do that because even now, like I turned 40 and mm-hmm. in my Congratulations, 20s, young man. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, in my 20s and 30s, I was always chasing, either chasing for a better job, earning more, that new car, that home, that wife, whatever, travel. But then when I now look back and I'm like, I'm so comfortable understanding where I'm at what's important, who's important in my life, and what my true real mission and aspiration and goals are in business, in life, and why I'm here. And once you have that epiphany and realization in your life, you have so much more free will and you don't care anymore. Yes, yes. And and I think you're absolutely right. They're, they're natural stages. Actually, they correspond. I mentioned the Mankind Project. So we talk about these four Jungian archetypes of that constitute a, a complete man. And so the, the we start with, with the lover and, that, and, the, and that's your emotions and, and yeah, yeah. the beauty in the world. And it, the time associated with it is mourning and, and so on. And then you, you enter the stage of the warrior. That's that get stuff done mode you were talking about and striving and um, no compromises and uh, accountability and uh, discipline and all of those things. And then you move into the magician stage where it's all much more subtle. It's alchemic transformations. It's not linear thinking. It's not unit work per unit time. It's about catalyzing things. And then the final stage of life is, is the king or the sovereign. And that's about justice and setting the direction and blessing others. It's no longer about doing, it's enabling others to come up and do. It's realizing you're part of that chain of life. So I agree. I think um, this changes and the need to mentor and give back probably increases as you get older. Yeah. And and that's what I've always been a big advocate of, not just giving, but mentoring and contributing, volunteering your time. Don't valuing every single dollar in your time. I mean, yeah. Understand, like, if you have children, you're not going to charge people for your time, like your child. You do it because of love, <laughs> right? And the relationship. And also, there's people out there that need it. They might not have money, right? And that's okay. They just need support. They need someone that gets them, that the guide them to a better, you know, state in their life, right? And it find, it's so more, much more rewarding when you're able to help others that, don't expect it or are in dire need and you don't expect anything in return because that's not a part of what you're all about. 
That's exactly right. I couldn't have said it better myself. So Tim, if you don't mind sharing with us some of some of the biggest mistakes that you've had to endure during the 20 plus years of running your uh, business and some of the challenges that you had to overcome, uh, maybe share with the audience members that are maybe starting off or been in business for a while, uh, what you could have done differently. Yeah, well, I think one of the keys is picking the right business partner. It's really hard to do it alone. There's evidence that says, you know, two or three people starting a business much more likely to succeed. And what you have to do is fill in, you just look at everything that needs to be done and then figure out what you want to do and are good at. Because as a single person, you're going to find a reason not to do the stuff you hate. So you have to actually find complementary people to do the stuff you hate. And that they love, which is great for them too. So I had a business partner who was much more operationally minded, detail oriented. That's not me. And so when I handed off the finances to her, that's when the finances in my business finally stabilized, for example. Another thing I'd say is um, don't get personally invested in, in conflicts or dramas. We've had to, on occasion, get lawyers involved. And I used to pay the lawyers and then also be really angry about these situations that were going on that I thought were unfair. And nowadays, I just let the lawyers do their thing. And I don't get angry anymore because anger, as they say, is letting someone live rent-free in your head. And I'm not willing to pay that extra price in addition to the hourly rates that I pay the lawyers. Um, And another thing, as I mentioned earlier, is really aligning what you do with who you are. Some people try to shore up their weaknesses. I say double down on your strengths and get other people to come in um, and support roles and clean up the messes or whatever, minimize the damage, but um, go into your strengths. And in my case, it's evangelism, it's helping people, it's it's, uh, communication. So that's where I'm going to live and I'm not going to do anything that doesn't align with that. So that was a painful lesson. I'm good enough at a lot of things where I, I basically went against type, if you will, for many, many years. And now it's all about just being, putting myself in situations where my best qualities are going to shine. I, I love those three examples. I mean, I can totally relate. Like when you're by yourself, I bootstrapped. I kind of wanted to just help and try to figure things out. I learned a lesson to hire smart not just on skill set, but more personality values. Um, so that was one of my biggest mistakes. And then, of course, that stress. Like when people, you know, you, you hold on to, other people hold on to a lot of grudges and you get some lawyers involved, let it go. There's going to be a lot of, you know, decisions that you're going to kind of reflect and figure out like you could have done yeah, yeah. There's a there's another saying which is that uh, anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. So I mean, just letting go. Like even my, I have a little kid, and you know, he sometimes drives me nuts, and I have to have perspective of what he's going through. Right. Hey, wait till you get to the teenage years, then you'll really <laughs> find out what drive you nuts really means. And, and people can't relate, right? The ones that don't have children. So they don't understand what's going on and even themselves at that age, right? So you have to sit in their shoes. What do they currently want? And, you know, just understand different people have different reactions um, for certain things, right? Different triggers. So sit back, let things go, 
be less stressed, enjoy the moment, be present and take care of your health mentally and physically so that you have energy. Yeah. Self-care. That's one of the other things I talk about in my book, Unleash Your Primal Brain, is I have a whole chapter on being more primal at the end. And self-care is critical. And by the way, that for me, that starts with sleep. Yeah. Sleep is really foundational. There's no form of life on earth that lives longer than a few days that doesn't have some form of sleep. So we think we can cheat it. We can... Um, basically stay up, scroll through our phone, binge watch another episode of something. And in reality, if you're not getting seven to nine hours of sleep on a regular basis, you're less creative, you're more paranoid, you misjudge people's emotional reactions, you can't learn, uh, bad things happen. In fact, I just read the New York Times today and there was a study that came out said people that shortchange their sleep in middle age and their 50s have a 30% higher chance of getting dementia. So just, just get the sleep, uh, do the self-care, mindfulness stuff, good diet, exercise is great, but sleep is foundational. No, that's amazing. Great advice. Um, so as, as we kind of end this, I wanted to ask you, um, you being such a renowned speaker, did you have training for that? Or was it more about just being yourself, being, you know, out there practice? Like what, what? did you do to start getting on that circuit? And do you still enjoy doing that? Um, absolutely. I enjoy it. In fact, it's it was one of the most enjoyable things in my life is uh, I'm an extrovert, as you've probably gathered, and I love being on stage, especially live stages. After a year off, I just had a keynote uh, recently, and it's just so good to get that audience feedback because sitting on a Zoom keynote no matter how big the audience is, you're getting nothing back. So for me, the fun part of speaking is the audience reaction, seeing those light bulbs go off, getting that emotional response from that sort of thing. Um, and I basically learned myself. I basically uh, wasn't shy. I was the class clown back in the day and just popping off with stuff. So that helps. But then there's a... Um, I went through different stages, like I would fire hose people with information, death by PowerPoint, I call it, you know, just a bunch of bullet points. How much can I pack in? That was the wrong thing to do. Then I figured out how to keep people's attention and reset it. I would throw books at them, money, shower the audience with, with um, bills I'd throw up in the air, whatever it took to get their attention. Once I figured that out, then I moved on to visual storytelling and my slides really changed. And after that, right now, I'm focusing on the performance aspects part of it. There's a whole level of being, say, a, a trained theater actor or um, something like that, where where you go on stage, your body gestures, your tone of voice, hitting your mark, timing, uh, all of those things are really, really important. And you can't fake that. So to go from being an A- minus speaker to an A-plus speaker, that's what I'm focusing on right now. That's amazing. I mean, that's expertise, right? It's a lot of practice, a lot of trial and error, a lot yeah. of listening to your audience members and wanting to grow and get better. And it seems like there's pivotal moments in your life in this presentation world um, that wants to keep going, right? Yeah. And, and, you, and I want to make the mistakes because that's uh, if you get too comfortable, you're not leaning into your edge. That's a problem. So sometimes I'll just, I'll belly flop into the pool, uh, not intentionally, but then I go, Ooh, that hurt. I, what can I learn from this? And that's those amazing. are really important moments. And, and that's where, you know, that's probably the next stage of my transition of trying to 
up level to get more of an impact, right? Getting in front of more people at one time to elevate my exposure. Um, not just the books, amplifying the message, getting more visibility, I would say, but just talking, getting more comfortable. Like I've been in sales all my life, but it's more about like stepping outside my comfort zone. That presentation, I've started doing smaller speaking events, like hundreds and thousands of people, but not at 10,000 level or anything in that magnitude. But I enjoy it. Like there's a thrill, there's a desire that I want to just perform and get better. And yes, that feedback is so rewarding when you get off that stage, knowing that you made an impact. Yes, it's it's very rewarding. And, and like you say, it's leverage. I mean, when we think about legacy in the world, it's how many people did you reach? How deeply did you touch them? Those are all very, very important questions, I think, um, in terms of how, how one lives their life. And that's why I wrote this latest book, actually, Unleash Your Primal Brain, demystifying how we think and why we act. Yeah, because as I mentioned, you know, we're, I was playing in the sandbox, very comfortable for me in digital marketing, and I know what I'm doing there. But I wanted to bring this to a much wider audience. So this book is really about what all 8 billion people on the planet have in common. So it retraces the evolutionary arc in a non-scientific way and says, where do we pick up various parts of, of our brain and uh, some stuff we share with very early life forms. Other stuff is uniquely and bizarrely human, like the spread of culture and how culture actually evolved us to be cooperative. Um, so it's everything in between. I mean, cover brain chemistry, memory, learning, storytelling, our cooperative natures. It's kind of being human 101. And so I, I didn't, I w it wasn't enough for me to play in that marketing sandbox. I wanted to just say, here, understand yourself. And uh, that's my legacy. That's amazing. I, I love your passion. I love your purpose. Um, so to end this off, is there any final words? Like, what do you want to be known as when you leave this planet? Like, what kind of impact do you want to leave as your legacy? Mm, I, In I terms of like your brand, your name, when people think of Timash, what do they want to think of? Uh, well, I think that ultimately it's how I made them feel. And uh, again, I've made my mistakes in life. And uh, in the immortal words of Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. That's probably what they'll play at my funeral, or I hope so anyway. Yeah, but it's, uh, I think it was Maya Angelou had said, people rem won't remember what, what you said or what you did. They'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And so that's really uh, the key for me, I think, is just that having that joy and that um, service attitude. I, I like this phrase uh, that uh, service is love in action. So I just want to be of service. That's amazing. I mean, I love your attitude. I love your joy. I love what you stand for. And it resonates. And that's why you're on the show, right? We get along. Well, and I thought it was because we're both members of the Streamlined Haircut Tribe, <laughs> but okay. That as well. Um, I'm working up to the entire hair line all the way to that. But <laughs> I mean, it's been my pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation, Tim. How can some of the listeners get a hold of you, get in touch with you if they have any questions? Oh, that's, that's really easy. If you're interested in my book, and again, it's powerful for business, relationships, or personal growth, um, go to primalbrain.com. 
if you go to there, you can see the table of contents for the book and pick the, a free sample chapter of your choice and I'll send it to you. And that's available in ebook as well as an audio book narrated by me. It makes it a lot of fun. Uh, and if you're interested in my public speaking or digital marketing consulting, you can find all of that at timash.com, T-I-M-A-S-H.com. Amazing. Well, thanks a lot, Tim. It was my pleasure to have you on the show and hopefully you had as much fun as I did. Oh, I certainly did, John. It was a blast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Please subscribe to Local SEO Today and tune in to our next episode.